Attention Guilford County, are you ready for positive change in our schools? Introducing Bill Goble, a true champion for our students, parents, and teachers. With years of experience and unwavering dedication, Bill Goble is the leader we need on the school board. As a current member representing District 3, Bill is already making a difference, shaping policies that benefit our community. Vote for Bill Goble for school board, and let's build a brighter future for Guilford County together. Paid for by the committee to elect Bill Goble for school board. Coming up in this episode of Finding Common Ground. And so how did you navigate through that? Because a lot of executive directors get caught up in that minutia between what the board thinks and what you think. And this kid would have been in debt for $25,000 a year but could have gotten the same sort of education at GTCC. And, and so he started classes there in January and is off and running. It's a labor of love. It's uh, it really is. And, you know, when uh, put God in the center, it uh, mm. changes everything. There are two sides to every coin. How do we deal with racial issues when they affect relationships? Finding common ground on all those issues that we come against. There's black and there's white. And I think as Christians, we have to learn how to get together because we're not in heaven. I've met more interesting people just by God just bringing them in. Republicans and Democrats. But a lot of times when it comes to race and it comes to culture and it comes to perception, even as Christians, we don't always understand. We look at it through our lenses. There's Bill. I grew up in a suburb of Cleveland called Parma. Uh, Any black the, people in Parma? There was not one. Not one black person, not Bill? One. Not on, one. Come on, Bill. You got to have one a nope. token black person. A token. And there's Odell. I grew up in Charleston, South Carolina. Public housing, single mom, divorced single mom with four kids. And I came up through segregation and all that kind of stuff. If a black person drove through the town, the police would stop and escort them out. Bill and Odell are finding common ground. A part of what we have to do is listen to each other, find the common ground, and question, not questioning you like you're on a witness stand, but questioning you for a better understanding. Father God, we just say thank you for your grace and mercy. Thank you for all that so many do for the least of these, God. You say in your word that when we look out for the least of these, then we're looking out for you. So, God, thank you for blessing us to be a blessing. Many of us has come from humble beginnings. You've blessed us. You've protected us. You've put people in our lives to help us climb, God. And, God, we just never want to forget from which we came so that we could always go back like the Sankofa bird and look to pull somebody else up. So we thank you for that. In Jesus' precious name, we pray and believe. Amen. Dear Heavenly Father, we just uh, lift up our guest today, Josh Mullins, who's, uh, I believe it's headmaster of Hope Academy, and we'll explain that. But uh, Lord, thank you for the people that work there, and thank you for the kids that go there. Ask your blessings on them as they educate these young people in this Title I area of our city. Lord, I also want to lift up uh, Dory, my wife. She's going to be going to Israel for about five, six days, and she's going to go there to... Uh, the border, the kibbutzes that were attacked. She's going to volunteer to do volunteer work for the Israel government, along with a group of other people that are going there. So we ask for safety as they travel and uh, discernment as they see things. Amen. Lord, we praise you for your work in our lives. And uh, we lift up this conversation to you and, and 
that you would work through it and be glorified through our words and our interactions. We pray, Lord, for our city, that people would come to know you and love you and see you at work in and around us. Praise you, Father, for the children of the city, that you would bless them, that you'd give them hope, lift their heads so that they can see you. In Christ's name, amen. 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 So, Josh, again, thank you so much for joining the show today. Josh is the head of schools at Hope Academy in Greensboro. Hope Academy in Greensboro decided that they were going to start a school in one of the more poverty stricken parts of our community and they're doing a good job build you call them the headmaster we don't want you calling them master in the black community bill we don't, we don't want that so it's not a headmaster he is the head of schools at hope academy so, thank you yeah i got a little thing about that master stop gobo so it's okay though yeah but but you know josh you have been doing a good job a lot of people don't understand why someone like yourself who would give up a career in public school the public school system and go into a private christian school in a tough community, because I know some, not all, but some teachers don't want to be in a Title I school, don't want to teach poor kids, don't want to be around poor kids. And and that's not an indictment on them. It's just their rathers because they say, mm-hmm. well, they'll, you know, sometimes the behaviors. And I always tell them I'm from a Title I school. I'm that kid who came from a poor family. I'm that kid who had free and reduced lunch. I'm that kid. And I say that the parents don't keep their best students at home. They send you educators the best that they have. The Mm -hmm. best students that they have, that's what they send you. They're doing the best they can. And until you've been there, I get it. It's not for everybody, but some people love taking care, helping people, a hand up, not a handout. So it appears, Josh, my man, that you're one of those people. Can you tell our listening audience, why do you give a damn about poor kids, Josh? Oh, thank you for that introduction, Odell. I appreciate that. Yeah, you know, I spent, uh, I grew up in public schools also. I spent uh, five years teaching in public schools and there's I'll just firstly say there's lots of lots of teachers that are doing great work in those places. I think for me, that is a place where the Lord really grew my heart for poor kids, particularly for poor kids in Greensboro. And I just always felt like we just weren't addressing the main issues. We weren't doing enough to give the kids what they needed to meet them where they were. And at Hope Academy, we really had the opportunity to set the table for teachers to be successful and to see students and to meet them and to grow them and to love them in this place. So only the Lord could do such a work in me to grow my heart for poor kids. And uh, it's been a blessing to be a part of the solution for them. Well, you know, it's interesting. A lot rises and falls on leadership. You are the leader there. Your decision affects a little bit of everyone who attend that school, the, the struggling single parent, the parents that's trying to make it happen, the teachers who having a good day or a bad day or just one of those days, and they look to you for leadership. And you've been a sixth grade math teacher. You've been some other, you know, teaching. So you understand you're not an administrative only. You have a background in teaching. How's that background affected your leadership style, sir? 
Yeah, that's true. I mean, I, I think, again, at the classroom level, and you, you can look at tons of research that show you the power of a, of a great teacher and how much a great teacher can do for students. And so it's been interesting as uh, I've been the head of school here for seven years now. And not the master, a, not the master, not, not, right. the, not the head master, the no. head of school. The head of school. That's correct. And that is a title purposefully like, chosen. I like you this know. master stuff. <laughs> nah, we ain't doing no master, Bill. We're not <laughs> doing that. Go ahead, that's Josh. Right. That's right. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I think it's uniquely uh, given me the, the perspective to be able to support teachers, to know what the challenges teachers face, the work that teachers really want to accomplish with students. And for me to be able to just remove those barriers, get students and teachers close to the work, so that they can have a real impact on on what they're learning. You know, let me make a statement before Bill jumps in. Something I read, and I don't know if I can contribute this quote to you, but it's, it's a great quote that was under your biography. It says, we look forward to serving more children and serving our children more. Mm. Let me read that again. It says, we look forward to serving more children and serving our children more. When I read that doing my research on you, I said, wow, now that's a powerful statement. Unpack that, what does that mean? Yeah, yeah, that's a great question, thank you. Yeah, I think for me, it means one of the things we're eager to do is just to, to impact more students. When Hope Academy started 12 years ago, it was grades five through eight, there were 32 kids. And uh, we knew from day one that we needed to grow down and expand and start in kindergarten and begin laying foundation. And so now, 12 years later, we've got grades K through eight. We're serving 115 students this year. And I think we're just eager to do more. We're eager to see Hope Academies all over the place impacting kids, giving kids an option so that they can have a Christ-centered education that is excellent, but also meets their needs spiritually as well as mentally. Now, when the school started, you said 12 years ago, there's a small group of people that got together and said, we see a need in the community. Can you give us some of the backstory about that? Yeah, definitely. So uh, prior to that, Marshall Benbow, who's the current head pastor at Grace Community Church, he moved into the Glenwood neighborhood in 2001 and just started tutoring his neighbors. Right. He just had some neighbors that had kids and they started showing up and they started tutoring them. And a few years within a few years, they had moved the tutoring program to Grace Community Church. It grew to about 80 students, K-12. Wow. And it was three days a week after school tutoring. They would do summer camps, but they still weren't seeing a lot of change in their academics, a lot of change in life decisions and just kind of kept praying about it and praying about it and, and definitely felt like the Lord was was opening doors for them to to open a, a full-blown school and to be able to spend significant amounts of time with these students, with their families, and really address those needs. Wow, that's amazing how God works with, with someone so just working in his house and tutoring a few kids. Mm -hmm. Wow. Wow, that's yeah. a powerful story. Explain to our, our audience what a Title I school is versus a Title II or III, I guess. Yeah, yeah. So Title I. You know what, Bill? Is there such a thing? <laughs> Listen, 
I'm on the school go, board. I should know this, right? Josh, go ahead, Josh. Go, go, go ahead, Josh. Yeah. I'm sorry. Probably, probably a little out of my expertise as well, but Title I schools are identified really based on poverty, based on areas of need. And uh, typically, we know what goes with that is low academics. And so you have these things kind of going hand in hand, right? When when poverty is present, it's often hard for uh, for students to to do the things they need to do to succeed in school. So yeah, that's kind of a brief snapshot of a Title One school is low academics and low socioeconomic. Yeah, and you know what comes with that are a lot of emotional issues and adverse childhood experiences that uh, you probably have to deal with every day. You know, the, the uh, we have a resilience task force that Chief Justice put together to address that. And also our Dorian R's nonprofit, Youth of North Carolina, is putting on resilient summits to go around the state, educating people on ACEs and how to make kids mm-hmm. resilient. And that's what you're doing. You're helping them become resilient. You know, it's interesting. I, I do a presentation on the Guilford County School Board. It's called A Look Behind the Curtain. And, uh, you know, I, as a businessman, when I went in there for the beginning, I looked at it from a business standpoint, like what are our assets? What are our liabilities? What are our strengths? What are our weaknesses? Mm -hmm. And one of the things that really jumped out at me was how many Title I schools we have. Mm -hmm. We have 123 schools. 66% of them are Title I. And I was like, holy cow, that's a lot of schools. So I said, well, how does that compare to Charlotte? and Raleigh and other big cities. And we are by far the most Title I schools in the big districts. I'll give you an example. Raleigh has 35%. Charlotte Charlotte has about 40%. So what comes with that is what you discover and is it's not just about educating the kids and teaching them. There's all these other elements that come with it. You know, a kid may come in and not perform because – he hasn't been fed or he didn't have heat in his house or his father came home drunk or didn't come home at all. He doesn't know who his father is. You know, there's a lot of social issues that come with poverty and uh, people don't realize that they just think, Oh, they're poor. They got to bucket up Bucky and go get a job. And some of these people are working two or three jobs. Mm-hmm. Uh, working mom, the grandma's taking care of the kid or an aunt after school programs are so important as you know, because there's nobody home to send them mm-hmm. home to. So how what do you do for transportation? Yeah, we uh, we provide some limited transportation to uh, particularly to students that are in in the greatest need. We don't provide full blown transportation, but we definitely work with families if, if that's a need. So do you all still have the vans? We do. We've expanded our van fleet. We have a, a fourth van now. And yeah, they've been. Again, kind of like Bill said, just, you know, when you start working with with families in poverty, doors continue to open, right? The things that you didn't know or the things that you assumed, and it just compounds and you think about, oh, yeah, okay, transportation, feeding students, we, you know, we have to take these things seriously. And and we're proud of the of the things that we've done to really try to reach those students and meet them where they are and provide what's needed, but also call those families into what the Lord has for them as parents or grandparents or aunts and uncles mm-hmm. uh, and really support the work that they're doing at home. Because like you said, they, they are doing the best that they can. They're sending us the best that they have. 
and uh, it's incumbent upon us to to work alongside them. And it's been just amazing to see the Lord transform folks on both sides of that equation. It is a it's a mutually beneficial work, uh, and that's one of the reasons I keep doing it. Well, it's important, Bill, uh, someone who came from a poor family, someone who came from a certain side of the tracks. Let me uh, give a little caveat here to Josh's point that the blessings and the benefits came from helping those and also for those who received help. And a lot of times the when you were helping someone who's less than who have nothing to offer you is almost like a mirror. You get to reflect in your own lives on what's going on. But the whole idea of upward mobility. And this is what I think that a lot of people don't understand about being poor. Being poor is not a negative or scarlet letter because people are poor for different reasons. And no one said this, so I could go ahead and say it is not that someone did something wrong or someone did something right. Sometimes you just find yourself in situations. And what I love, and that's why I'm a big proponent of choice, school choice. And people are like, well, Dale, no, because you're taking away from the public school system. Uh-uh, uh-uh, uh-uh. I don't buy that. What I buy is upward mobility and education is the key that unlocked the door in my life. So I understand that education can open up so many doors for so many poor families. Case in point, in the school systems, we usually have public schools. We are very familiar with that. Charter schools or schools, private Christian schools like Hope Academy is. And really, it's like the funding. Where does the funding go and who gets what for what? And I think that the public school system should compete, should compete with private schools, should compete with charter schools, should compete because if my child can get a better education at a smaller school and my tax dollars are following my child, then that's fine. So that way, when Odell was coming up, and this is a different time, when they tried to put Odell in special education classes, now, Nothing against special education classes for those who need it, but to use it as a way of penalizing certain behaviors or certain races of kids, that's where I come and draw the line to find it offensive. So, Josh, when you think about the Opportunity Scholarship, Bill, you're on the school board, you're on the school board, Opportunity Scholarships. When you go to Hope Academy, I'm thinking that the classroom size is about 10 to 15 versus in public school, the class sizes might be 31, 32. So, Josh, what's your class size and how do you utilize this whole thing on opportunity scholarships and how this whole upward mobility? Because upward mobility is a big deal in my world as a black person. And who's an advocate? I don't. I don't dislike white people, but I love black people. Yes, that's a that is a that's a great question. Yeah. So uh, at Hope Academy, our class size is between about ten and sixteen, and that, that's great. You know, that is that, great. That's great. And that's really again the research kind of reflects that that's really the sweet spot. And it, it again it gives teachers that opportunity to see the students that are in their classroom to get to know the families that they come from. We also work to try to loop students when we can. So they have the same teacher multiple years so that those relationships continue to be a bedrock for those families and those students as they continue their educational journey. 
Yeah, I, I definitely agree with you, Odell. I think I am a, a man of the free market when it comes to educational options and think that, that people prefer the free market in lots of other spaces and it's not going to hurt to have it enter into the education realm. It is a dynamic and interesting time to be in education as lots of options are emerging. And a lot of that has been fueled by the Opportunity Scholarship monies. So for us at Hope Academy, you know, we have, we've really grown as a result of the availability of the Opportunity Scholarship. And I do think there's a lot to, given these families a choice in a space where they don't often have a choice. Amen, brother. Amen. Bill, can you or Josh explain Opportunity Scholarships to, because you're a school board. How does a school board member feel? We're talking about public schools. How do you feel? Do you feel a little little, little fuzzy there, buddy boy? And nothing against public school, hey, but hey, let's compete. Up, you keep it up. I'm going to bring out that master. <laughs> Go ahead, my friend. No, you know, I'm new to the school board. But I'm a believer in free market. Okay. So as I was getting involved and seeing what was going on and how much money we spent to charter schools, here's my rub. We have been underfunding schools, the state has, for decades. And so when we underfund schools, it affects a number of things. The quality of the education, the quality of the buildings. I mean, just all kinds of stuff. Now, is there waste in the system? Absolutely. I'm sure there is. But I saw a $42 million line item in the billion-dollar budget. I said, what's that? And they said, that's for charter schools. And I said, uh, okay, so we don't get extra money for charter schools. It comes out of our budget, of which we don't have enough. And they said, yeah. I said, well, that should be changed. The state legislature should fund charter schools and vouchers, but it shouldn't be at the expense of the school systems. It should be incremental. And let me just add to that. You know, the lottery, when it was sold, was sold as a incremental. The education lottery? Yeah. The, 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 the educational lottery. Did you buy your ticket today? No, 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 no. I'll get you one after the show. <laughs> but, you know, it was supposed to be incremental to what the state gave them. They changed that just before the law was passed. That It's at the discretion of the state legislature. So it's not incremental. It's supplemental. And in addition to that, whoa, 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 whoa. So you're saying politicians are speaking out of both sides of their mouths? I've heard that. I've heard that. Okay. And and it was supposed to be, I think they were supposed to get something like 42% of the proceeds were guaranteed to the schools. You know, you still got to pay 50% to the winners and then you got administration costs. So 42% was going to go to the schools. They took that clause out. And that's at the discretion uh, legislature. So it, guess what? How much they get now? 26%. Where does all that other money go? It goes probably to the state coffers. It doesn't go to the winners because you can only give them 50%. Administration costs are pretty low. I took a look at that. I thought, well, maybe we're paying too many people. But no, that, that seemed to be in line. So my point of saying all that is I agree with uh, Josh that uh, we need to make it a free market system. If you know the funding comes from us, the people, and if you look at the U.S. Constitution, it talks about that's a right. That's one of our rights to educate our kids and have the state and federal government do it and local government. That's why we pay taxes, amongst other things. 
So I think our county's doing well, giving money. I think the federal government could probably chip in a little more. But, you know, it's interesting. If you look at county chips, about $3,000 a kid. And uh, I was taking this. Okay, well, how does our county rate with everybody else, uh, the other school systems? Chapel Hill gives $7,000 per kid. Wow. And so I was like, wow, how did they do that? Mm-hmm. They have an endowment. They only give three, but the endowment kicks in the other four. So they, they were smart enough to get some rich people to put in their will, to put an education endowment. And if they do it like we do in Boy Scouts, you don't touch the principal. You just pull 5% out of it and you let your principal grow. And so I suspect they're doing that. So I asked when I was on the school board, do we have an endowment? We have a little one. And uh, the other thing I asked was, do we have deferred maintenance on our buildings? And they said, no. We don't set money aside for the air conditioning. Yeah. You know, you're in an old building, so you know what maintenance is. <laughs> and heat. A aged building. Josh is in an aged <laughs> building, not an old building. Maybe. Josh knows what it is when the roof leaks. Because I think part of Hope Academy coming in there, you all had to do some renovations before you even were allowed to get the CO, correct? That's correct. Yeah. And we're, we're still, uh, we're still working to renovate other parts of the building to create new classroom space as we speak. So hey, if somebody wants to donate to Hope Academy, how do they do that? Yeah. Thanks for asking. Uh, the best place to go is to our website, hopegso.org. And there's a button there, donate now, and you can go ahead and support the work that is taking place at Hope Academy. Hopegso.org. We'll bring That's that us. up. Here. Very good. So, Josh, how did you all handle, were you in charge, and I think based on the timeline, you were in charge during COVID, correct? I was in charge during COVID. That's right. So tell me about <laughs> it. Didn't sound too happy yeah, about tell that. me about it from the very beginning, the middle and the end, because I know you trusted Ooh. Jesus. I know this is a Christian academy. I know all that good stuff, but churches were closing. And, you know, so how did you handle it? Because again, back to Odell's philosophy, things rise and falls on leadership. And in some cases, when you serve a institution with a board of elders or a board of directors and everything else, you have 10, 12 people on the board and you have 10, 12 different opinions. And so how did you navigate through that? Because a lot of executive directors get caught up in that minutia between what the board thinks and what you think. And sometimes, and you're different, sometimes the executive director is not even a part of the board membership. Yeah, thankfully we have a, a supportive board and, and I am a part of that membership. And uh, Good answer, in- good answer, good answer, Josh, good answer. And again, you know, navigating a small ship through the tumult of COVID was a, was a blessing to be able to have the autonomy to make the decisions that we made to be able to talk to our parents and really get a handle on what, what was going to, what were they comfortable with? What was going to serve them best? So, you know, when COVID hit in March of 2020, nobody knew what was going on. So we, we went full remote and we finished the year fully remote. And, but we knew within a week that that was not going to help our families, you know, it was not going to further the education of our students So we also pivoted during that time and really just became a food distribution hub. We partnered with some church partners and United Healthcare, and we were just trying to get food to people. So uh, that was kind of the first few months. Yeah. Clarifying point. Clarifying point. You said fully remote. As I understand it, 
you're in a very low wealth community. I yeah. think that the majority of your students are X percent under the poverty guideline. I think it's like 80 percent or maybe not. And I'm sure if I have it yeah, wrong, correct correct me. So yeah. how did you get devices in their hands and more than the devices, the access for them to be able to come in and understand, you know, how they yeah. can, you know, remote. Cause that was an issue for a lot of places. Can yeah. explain that to the audience, please? Yeah, that was definitely a big challenge, you know, just to kind of, whether it was devices or did they have access to the internet at home? And, and th- again, like thankfully during that time, a number of providers were offering free devices or free internet. And, and so we were able to take advantage of that. We partnered with Mercy Hill and they bought Chromebooks for all the students. So, so that really was a great partnership for us during that time. But again, like we knew that that wasn't going to work long term. So that summer of 2020, we, and we, in January, 2020, we had just voted as a board to expand. So we, we were adding grades right in the midst of COVID and growing. Oh my goodness. And it definitely took our breath away at first, but we also said, man, for such a time as this, right? Like more kids need more education and we're here to serve them. So we, uh, when we came back, we had some federal money. We bought 20 by 20 party tents and put them up all over campus and had, had school as much as we possibly could, kept them outside as much as we possibly could. But we came back in person that August of 2020. And it was such a blessing to our families. You know, like you said, some of it was just to kind of get eyes on what the needs were for our kids, whether those are mental health needs, whether those are physical food needs. And we knew that we probably weren't going to move the needle on academics much during that time, but we could at least be neighbors and be family to one another and go through this thing together. Yeah, man, that's a blessing. I remember driving by and seeing all the tents outside. Uh, <laughs> it was not a music festival. It was class. It looked <laughs> like one. I'll tell you what, it was a lot of tents. The uh, yeah. Now, did the parents have to pay a fee to come to the school or is it a scholarship all or how's that work? Yeah, that's a great question. So we have, we do have a sliding scale for parents to pay tuition, but it's very minimal and most of our families do qualify and receive opportunity scholarships. So that covers, and that covers about half the cost and about the other half of the cost we receive from generous donors. So the, the cost to families is very minimal. If you would share, what is the cost for a student uh, that, that you, yeah, as low as, yeah, as low as $10 a month. For whoa, 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 whoa. Okay. As low as $10 a a month for a quality education. Wow. That's a blessing. Congratulations. And thank you. Well, it is my pleasure to do this work. And we, we want to make sure that we're serving the kids with the most need and getting them in our door and uh, into our classrooms. So we, we really work with them. But you said something though, and this is important. Getting them in your door in the classrooms. This is the prime recruiting time, as I understand it. Let's stop for a minute. Talk about that. Talk about why is this so important? Opportunity scholarship and what does people because people are going to be hearing this next week. What do they need to do? Who do they need to contact? They need to just come in there. What's your capacity? How do we get the word out? Just come on, preacher. Preach, preach. Yeah. <laughs> Let's do it. Yeah, get them over here. It's We're trying to get kids signed up now. February for Opportunity Scholarship is the priority window. 
And, you know, we talked about opportunity scholarship and I am in favor of it, but I am a little anxious about the way that that some of the stipulations are changing this year. In the past, it's been a little easier for low-income families to get priority. This year, we really have to make sure we get them signed up in February to make sure that they have access to those funds. And yeah, come on by, give us a call, inquire on the website, hopegso.org, phone number 336-907-7155. We're at 1403 West Florida Street. Just come on by. We'd love to show you around and and get your students signed up. Yeah, it's a great location. I've been over there a number of times. It was in Josh's office where I think he's sitting now. And That's me. Yeah, sitting there in his office this time of the night. How do you recruit teachers? Mm, that's a great question. Man, we pray a lot and we, <laughs> we look for the Lord to move. Okay, that's a that's a philosophy. How do you recruit teachers, man? We pray. We, <laughs> man, we pray. That's what we do. <laughs> pray this been tough. It's tough, right? It's tough to find uh tough to find teachers that uh that want to teach, but once they join us, I think they fall in love with us and uh, we we have very little turnover. But we've we've had the best of teachers come through word of mouth. We've partnered with the Greensboro Fellows Program. We've gotten some high quality teachers through that program. We've been blessed with just people that send us who they think would be a great fit. And the Lord has has put the really put the pieces together. I've just been blessed to kind of hang on to the reins and, and set them loose to do their jobs. But uh, but it's definitely been tough. It's a, it's a tough market to find teachers and you know, like I said, when we were talking about COVID, navigating a small ship has really been a blessing. And I, I really feel for my counterparts that are in Guilford County schools or big systems and and maybe don't have the flexibility and the maneuverability that I do. We don't want to overuse the word family, but I think hope really does feel like a family. When we have a teacher come on with us, they really fall in love with it. They get the chance to do what they really want to do, which is educate students. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's a labor of love. It's uh, it really is. And, you know, when uh, put God in the center, it uh, yeah. changes everything. Yeah. Yes, and, and the kids, the kids recognize that they may not acknowledge it right away, but it blends into them and becomes part of their fiber, which is what your goal is. Now, once they get to eighth grade, where do they go? Cause you said you go to eighth grade, correct? Yeah, we're K-8 currently. So we're in the process right now with our eighth graders of helping them navigate the Guilford County Schools magnet applications. So most of them do go back into Guilford County Schools. We've had a few that have gone to some private schools in town, but most of them go back to Guilford County Schools. And we really work with them to, to try to find a good fit in the magnet process. So that's what we're doing right now. There's a there's a showcase coming up for that, and we'll be helping kids research their options and and get in line to see if they can get into some of those places. We also have a number of students that go to uh, Piedmont Classical is a charter school up on the north side of town. We've had a number of students go there. So really try to work with these families and see what's going to be the best fit for them next. Very good. You know, it's interesting. John, how many hats do you usually wear? Because I'm sure you do deal with <laughs> students, financial aid, operations manager, all those kind of good stuff. So this is going to be an Odell question. Three parts. Yeah. How many different hats do you wear? That's the A part. Second part, what kind of pushback do you get from those who would say you all are taking our money, a.k.a. public school money? And the third thing, I believe that my research state that a lot of your students end up 
understanding the importance of community college and mm-hmm. the fact that you don't have to get in debt and all that's kind of good stuff. So three things, hats, pushback and GTCC. Yeah, those are great questions, man. I don't know. I've lost, lost count of all the hats I wear here. Thankfully I've been, uh, as we've grown, I've been able to pass some of these hats off and that's been a blessing, but yeah, some days I'm the custodian. Some days today I was covering science class and tomorrow I'll probably be in the boiler room trying to figure out what's going on down there. So no shortage of hats for me, man. And second question, pushback, you know, I don't know. I think there's a, there's plenty of kids in the city that need that need love, that need education, that need to be served. And again, I think, you know, we are only hitting a small, a small group of them and we'd love to be serving more. But I think, you know, and some of this is we feel like we have a good thing going here. Uh-huh. Students feel safe. They love it. Uh, families are appreciative of, of what's going on. They're glad to have an option. Again, I go back to, I think there is just something to having that power of choice, right? There's something about choosing something versus being told to just go to something that I think is powerful for a lot of families. And just that agency, I think just does a lot in their hearts, in their minds, in their households. So I hear those arguments, you know, again, I grew up in public school. I went to a public university. I taught in public schools, but I think there's just so there's a lot of work and the fields are the fields are ripe for the harvest. I, I think that the church would be wise to see to see the need. You know, uh, the church churches are in a different kind of spot right now and lots of things going down. But education is a real opportunity to minister to, to students, to minister to this next generation, to grow seeds of faith. Uh, all right. Third question was about GTCC. That's a great question. And uh, broaden that question a little bit and just say that there are a lot of tremendous resources in the city that are hidden, that, that families just don't know about, right? So even where we are, we are a mile south of UNCG, and most of the kids in the neighborhood never been on campus there, never seen it, don't know what it is, right? And so there is a public library half a mile down the street from us. Most of them don't go there and take advantage of the programming that exists there. There are tons of beautiful parks in the city. And so one of the things we do with kids is just get them out into Greensboro so that they are oriented to it and know what's there and that they feel some ownership of this city. They know they belong here uh, and can see themselves in this place. More specifically to GTCC, I'm definitely excited about the programs they have down there, specifically the uh, dual enrollment programs. So we are kicking around entertaining when it makes sense for us to pursue some high school programming. And we'd love to to do it in such a way that it dovetails with the programming at GTCC because that is a tremendous community resource. I took a student over the summer to look at the aviation campus. If you haven't been there, you should just go. I mean, it's tremendous connections to the aviation industry. This student was only, he was interested in being a pilot, but he had no idea just the breadth of opportunities that exist just in that one industry. Wow. And uh, these are eighth grade students. This was an alumni that he finished high school and was trying to decide what, what he was going to do next. And he got this, uh, he got a financial aid letter in the mail to a little private school. Nobody had heard of, you know, and uh, the big award of like this much scholarship money. And so I sat down with him and just kind of helped him dig through it and understand, oh, like that's the, 
you know, that's the money they put out front, but here's the true cost. You know, let's right, dig into right, it. Right. And this kid would have been in debt for $25,000 a year, but could have gotten the same sort of education at GTCC. And, and so he started classes there in January and is off and running. It's great. Wow. I think that's great. One of the things, you know, you remind me of something. I had a, one of my college basketball teammates is in charge of the Big South tournament now. And for those who know the Big South and High Point University is part of the Big South. So they're coming here, Denver, in March and they're putting on all the schools will be here and they're uh, having um, kids come in, you know, from um, all the high schools and everything. I'm going to send your school a special invitation. Hey. It's kind of like an open house and all this, everything will be there. So I'll be sending mm -hmm. that to you. And I'll be getting with him to make sure and invite because it's something about it's going to be held on High Point University's campus. And we understand that every campus is not like High Point. But just to your point, getting exposure when yeah, you yeah. took that kid over to the aviation school at GTCC, you help exposed him to something that he didn't know. And a lot of times mm -hmm. in poverty stricken areas or low wealth areas. I rather say the hood and the projects because I came from the hood and the projects. I know that's not politically correct, but I'm not politically correct. I don't want to be politically correct because politically correct, if you're not careful, turn into lying. So back to Odell's philosophy of the projects and poor communities. <laughs> Once you get exposed to something and you see something, mm -hmm. now you say, what do I need to do to obtain what I see? Because I see it. I know it's yeah. real, but I've never seen it before. I never had access to it before. So help me, mentor. Help me, teacher. Help me, guidance counsel. Help me get there. Tell me the steps instead of telling me, well, that's not for you, Odell. You cannot graduate in business. You cannot get a master's degree. That's not for you. Well, if yeah. it's not for me, then who is it for? And for adults to tell children what's for them and what's not for them? That's not right. That's not mm -hmm. right. You can't look at that poor black child who doesn't dress well, who's not well kept, who may even smell. He may even smell. She may even smell. They may come to school hungry. They might not have what you think they can have. But don't take their future away from them by telling them they cannot be what they're willing to work hard and dream to be. Because that's not mm -hmm. fair. That's, that's it. not fair. Mm. Amen. Sounds like a man that lived it. Still living it because now I have to go back and help others because it's not enough that Odell, you got over. You're standing on shoulders. Part of the responsibility is you have to turn around and help others because mm -hmm. God is watching, not just at Hope Academy. God is watching all of us with our biases, prejudices, and stereotypes on who can go and who can't go. Mm -hmm. Mr. School Board member. <laughs> wow. That's all I can say about that. That was well said. Well said. I do want to do a point of clarification. I suspect there's a lot of people that are listening to this and going, what is a GTCC? So it's Guilford Tech Community College. And uh, it's one of the largest in the States. And, uh, it has a number of programs for career paths and and many of our students have 
graduate with a high school diploma and sometimes a two-year college diploma in advanced mm-hmm. programs, which is pretty impressive that uh, when they have their high school graduation ceremony, they're handed two diplomas, uh, which, you know, you go, wow, I had a hard time getting one. <laughs> well, Bill, I think to Josh's point, though, and this is important. This is very important. You can go there. And also, you can finish high school and have up to two years of college credits you can earn there. And they have relationships with a lot of the four-year institutions where you could transfer. But very rarely do you come out with a lot of debt. That's right. Because, that's see, right. I think that's the key, Josh. And you just hit the nail on the head. So you stated that you saved this kid, excuse me, this young person all the debt that they didn't have. And can you talk about that a little more? Because educators don't talk. We say go to college, get education, education, education. But if you come out with $100,000 or maybe even $50,000, maybe $25,000 worth of debt and no job, you're behind the eight ball, my friend. Yep. Yeah, that's it, man. Yeah, I think, you know, you know, to your point a minute ago, we don't want to close any doors, right? We don't want to close any childhood dream doors that, that kids have. And so how do we, how do we get in the business of opening those doors? And, you know, for a while college was just seen as, as kind of the pinnacle of what you do next, right? Like it's where you're heading. If you're, if you are succeeding, then you're going to college and that could be true. You know, I think that could be true for anybody. And there's a number of our students that we would say, yes, like college makes great sense for you. We have a student right now, he got a full ride to UNCG. He's going to finish up. Uh, he's looking at going to school for occupational, to grad school for occupational therapy, right? And that path makes a lot of sense for him. He knew what he wanted to do. He went after it and did it. I think a lot of kids, though, they just don't know what they want to do, right? And they, to your point, I think, again, they have not had those experiences, those enriching experiences that have really kind of caught their hearts, and they really know what it is that the Lord has gifted them to do and how to even get there. And so as we dream about high school, we dream about a high school where we're having those conversations with those students, helping them to see who the Lord's made them to be and giving them real experiences, putting tools in their hands, putting them in charge of something real so that they can find what is that thing? Where do they fit? And for a lot of kids, a lot of that can be answered with apprenticeships or certificate programs at GTCC or beginning their education there so that they're not accumulating this debt. I think that we just, we have to be responsible adults, right? And it's not, not responsible to, to burden kids that unnecessarily with debt that that's not going to be, like you said, that they're just going to be paying off for years. And there's smarter ways to do it, and we can help kids navigate it. How many different languages do the students speak in your school, sir? Yeah, uh, we have a a pretty high population. About 35% of our students come from Spanish-speaking homes. And then we do have a handful of students that are from from different parts of, of Africa that speak either French or native African languages. So only about four or five, but... In a school of 115, you know, that's that's pretty many. So. How do you successfully handle that situation? Mm. Yeah, that's hard, right? I mean, I think, you know, we, we want to make sure, again, that we're listening to our parents. And so that starts with the function of are, are we even understanding each other? 
And so we're nav where where we need to navigate that, whether that looks like hiring translators or we do have Spanish speakers on staff, so bringing them into conversations. A lot of times for for immigrant families, you know, it's it's really a lot of the a lot of the burden falls to the to the child, unfortunately. And uh, but they, I think they grow up uniquely with that ability, and I, I think that they do see. I think you see their parents in a different light when they're the ones having to having to translate, having to make sense of what's being said. So, you know, we want to put as many resources as we can in place to support them and bring them along just as we would any other family. And they are oftentimes extremely bought in on what we're doing and, and love the faith aspect of our education and that their students are in a place where they feel safe, feel seen. They're not going to be bullied for being different. And so, yeah, but it's tough, right? It's tough right. Just with, with any group of people, right? Trying to translate. But Josh, you know, in a lot of cases, you're right. The dynamic shift from the fact that the students are translating and interpreting for the parent. But in many of these cases, it was the parent who was willing to risk leaving their native country, coming to America for opportunities, not for them always, but for their children. So they may be living vicariously through their children and understanding that this is a better life for my child. So the child has to, the delicate balance of the child being humbled enough and understanding the sacrifice that the parent or parents made, but at the same time, knowing now I know more than my parent know as far as language wise, but the parent is still the parent. And Bill, to that point, in Guilford County School System, how many different languages do we have in Guilford County School System, sir? Uh, probably at least 100. At least yeah. 100. It's, it's tremendous. We have a thing called a newcomer school, and we've got two of them now. And that's mm-hmm. for kids that come over, and there's probably 45 or 50 languages just in those schools. Yeah. Alone, it's 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 pretty significant. You know, do you have programs for the parents? Oh, great question. Gobo. Yeah, that is a great question. We uh, we we've tried we tried a few different things, and um, one of the things that we learned a couple of years ago when we added kindergarten was just the opportunity exists now with parents of younger kids. That when we were just a middle school, you know, parents really were, were a lot more hands off. But but now we see these opportunities to to catch a number of these families, and one of the things that we really try to do on a regular basis is have what we call celebrations of learning. And it's really just that opportunity to open our doors, to get parents in so that they see and know what's going on in the school. They can ask questions. They know what their students do and they know the teachers. So we've really worked on focusing energy in getting our teachers just to, just to reach out to parents, right? Just to keep the door open to them, to help them understand that, these parents are vested in their children and, and love them. And again, as, as Odell said, they're sending their best to us. And how can we keep those doors open? We've tried some different programming along the lines of financial literacy. We looked into language classes, but again, there's lots of resources for those types of things. So we've tried to partner in those spaces, but really focus on building relationships with our families and inviting them in. We have chapel every Monday morning at 820. You guys are invited anytime you want to stop in. And we, again, that's a time where we really hope families will join us. We know that 
a number of them can be busy on the weekends. Sometimes they aren't making it to church, but uh, we're not trying to be their church, but we want to have them come and worship with us to start out the week on Mondays in that posture. It's a good way to start the week. Good way to start yeah. the week. We're getting ready to close here. like to give you and Odell the last word, uh, but let's let's plug that website again, hopegso.org, correct? That's it. Yep, hopegso.org. Yes, Josh, can you reiterate the importance of registering now? Why the important is to act now? Because that would give them the benefit of the opportunity scholarship being weighted based on one's income level. Can you explain that to everyone, please? Yeah. And this again, this, this is a bit of an uphill battle as we've been doing this. I appreciate you highlighting that, Odell, because I think, again, for families in poverty, many times they're living day to day. Right. They don't think four five, six months down the road. And so in February, we're really just trying to get them to understand now is the time to sign up. And that's crucial because the, the opportunity scholarship funding this year, February is the priority. So if you get your application in in February, you qualify for that money. They do prioritize low-income families to receive it. After March 1st, it's just an open pool and whoever signs up first come first serve. So we're really working to try to get the students and families that need us most to sign up in the month of February so that they can take advantage of those funds. So okay. please come see us. We'll show you around and answer any questions you have and uh, hopegso.org. There's a student application on there. You can go ahead and fill out that application. Uh, we can follow up with you, Very good. but now's the time. Is there an application fee? Is there a fee or something to fill out the application? There's not an application fee. Nope. So. Good. Good. Well, Josh, it's been great to have you on the show, and we'll make sure we get the word out for you. And I appreciate it. It's been my pleasure, guys. You're welcome. You've been a good, good guest, in spite of all our craziness that we do. <laughs> oh, y'all are fun. Yeah. Appreciate what y'all are doing to find common ground. Yeah. Thank you very much. And you have a good evening. Go home. Thanks. I will. Okay, buddy. Take care. See you guys. All right. Find Bill and Odell online at thecommonground.show. This podcast is a production of BG Ad Group. All rights reserved. This podcast is brought to you by Yes Weekly, the triad's largest circulated and best read weekly magazine. You can also find us online at yesweekly.com and on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Yes Weekly, your trusted news leader for local arts, entertainment, music, food, and more for nearly 18 years. Whether you're a big, medium, or small business, managing and growing the bottom line is important. Focus CFO brings the experience and financial acumen of a Fortune 100 Chief Financial Officer to your company at a fraction of the cost. PL help, internal reporting processes, or any business transitions or events. Focus CFO will help you and your team have a CFO in your company's back pocket. Focus CFO. Learn more at focuscfo.com.